friends, Chris Sauter, lead pastor at Neighborhood Church. We work hard at creating content every week that is life-giving and inspiring for people to live a full life. So we're inviting people who find this stream to be life-giving and encouraging to consider becoming a sustaining member at Neighborhood Church. That could be a one-time gift or to subscribe monthly. And you can do that at neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Thank you, friends, and enjoy the message. friends. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. All right. So uh, we are continuing with our theme for the whole year on um, having evolving faith. And Richard Rohr calls it two halves of life. Um, also, um, order, disorder, reorder. And I, I'm trying to share as many resources as possible. Um, and this doesn't have anything to do with my message, but I just received this book and it's called uh, Rhythms of Prayer. I, um, edited by Sarah Bessie, but features a ton of different authors, um, and they're all different kinds of prayers, but follows the theme of order, disorder, and reorder. So if you're looking for something else to read, something that you can meditate on, or you can read aloud, um, I just started reading through it, um, this past week, and it is, um, it's fantastic. And Sarah Bessie, um, is, um, one of my, one of my favorites. So, today... I am continuing our series called Bump in the Rug. It's easy in life just to continually to sweep things under the rug, metaphorically and actually physically <laughs> as well, because ignorance is bliss. And maybe you've brushed on the rug um, a traumatic experience. Maybe you witnessed violence. You were a victim of violence or you were um, um, someone who caused violence. Um, maybe it's with racism, sexism, um, a whole lot of things that we can brush on the rug. And it's important that we pull that rug back at times um, so we can either deal with things, reckon with things, find healing, or maybe pick some things up that we said, I'm just not ready for this. Um, or maybe you put away ignorantly that you're ready to pick back up. And what we're talking about is theological things that we've swept under the rug, things that were handed down to us, maybe big ideas or big questions or concepts that you heard people say, and you're just like, well, okay, Bible says it, uh, I believe it. Last week we talked about the problem of evil, and you can find that on our um, on our Facebook page, but, or you can find it on our um, our webpage at neighborhoodchurchmn.org um, under messages or something like that. But essentially, the problem of evil is if we have an all loving, all knowing, all powerful God, and we see um, genocide happen, we see hor like mudslides that or fires that can come and destroy people's lives. If God is all-powerful and God knows that's going to happen, why doesn't God use its power to stop it? It doesn't seem very loving. All right, we, we processed that. It was really, was really, I had a lot of fun doing it. So today, I thought we would talk about flags, right? I thought that would be an appropriate way to start. So before I go on, there's this thing called rage. You ever heard of rage watching or rage listening before, Sarah? Like where you watch something just because you disagree with it and you want to find more ways to confirm your bias against or for that thing? It does, it does not seem dumb. It does, yes, maybe it does seem dumb. All right. But people who maybe are watching, you're, you might be able to pull some things out of here um, 
and say, yeah, see, Sauter hates America. I am talking about nationalism. So I just want to get right to the front, right? And I practiced message several times. I'm like, I got to say this on the front. I am proud. I am thankful to be an American, all right? I'm very thankful that um, being born in the time and the place that I have been, it gives me access to power and privilege, right? Resources, um, things that help my kids as they continue to grow. And I want to use all that power, privilege, access to continue to help bring justice, equity, um, uh, flourishing life that we talk about. That's what I want to use it for. But I'm super thankful. I love politics. And so part of that politics is in the country I live, in America. So I am, I am uh, very thankful. I'm very thankful to be born where I was born. So you might hear me say some things, and I'm not ever going to... Uh, um, uh, punched down on people, right? Because of how they view their, their country. But it's important, right? And here's why. Uh, on the first weekend, the first weekend that we planted our church, very first service, there's two things that happened that I think is funny. Um, the first one is a woman came in with her young son who had um, curly hair. And anyone who's got curly hair or freckles, I'm like, those are my people, right? I stand in solidarity with them. And, and she said, hey, um, when is your special music? Because uh, my son, he's got his trombone in the car, and we could go pull it out, and he could play it today for special music if you really like that. And I thought to myself, I'm like, this is not going to end well for this family. <laughs> and if you don't know what special music is, you missed out on the charismatic movement in evangelicalism where there would be worship, and then there would be a time where someone would get up, and they would play a song onto the Lord as a special music, and everyone would sit there and clap. Um, Sarah... I did lots of special music. I don't know if you know that. I'm a musician. Yeah. I am not offering to leave. I could. It just would just be super bass by Nicki Minaj over and over again. Um, and, but I, but it, they wanted to come and do special music onto the Lord. And in my mind, I thought, well, isn't it just as special if he plays it out in the parking lot? I mean, isn't that just as special to the Lord? Or does it make it special that we all have to sit there and go, yeah, right, way to go. So, um, uh, the next thing that happened, actually before that, is we were getting all set up, and there was this person that helped me set up, um, and we are looking at the auditorium. It's just the worship team on the stage, and I was kind of like taking it in. That first Sunday was so nerve-wracking because I was convinced that just only my mom and dad would show up and no one else, um, and we were sweating for all the work and excited, and this person sitting next to me says, all right, hey, Chris, are we going to put the American flag um, over there in that corner? Are we going to put it over there? Or maybe we should put it right in the middle so everyone can see it. And in the same way of like the special music, I'm like, I don't think this is going to end well. Because <laughs> I had to talk about like, we're not going to have the American flag in our church service, right? Like, I don't think people need to be um, reminded of where they're at, right? Of like someone walks in and they see the American flag and they're like, oh, thought we were in Canada. Good thing that flag was there to remind me. The truth is that we have American flags in uh, churches because to a lot of people, the church um, or the flag can represent more than just the location of their country. Um, and here's a, an example. Uh, on January 6th, there was uh, insurrection and people stormed the Capitol. Right? I did not plan this around the impeachment. I actually had this on my calendar to speak uh, a long time ago. Um, and when I watched that, it, it was like, I, I don't want to use that word. I was very, I reacted very emotionally when I saw that. Um, 
to see the people. And I remember my daughter, we were watching on the news and she saw the sign that says, uh, Jesus is Lord. Big sign. As people are storming the Capitol, as people are enacting violence, as people end up murdering, killing um, a police officer, someone is standing there saying, Jesus is Lord, almost as a way of saying, if Jesus is Lord, then this is what the Lord is doing. This is a holy work. American flag, Jesus is Lord. How did we get here? How could people hold a sign and believe this is what God wants us to do? This is the will of God that we um, go back and take the stolen vote and take back our country for what the Lord has asked us, has deemed us to be holy, to do. Well, here's one way. My daughter, my daughter, <laughs> my wife went to a Christian school growing up. And uh, this is almost a decade ago that she shared this with me. They'd start every morning. And like the school, I went to public school, Carlton High School, right? Southgate Elementary and South Terrace, South Terrace Elementary. And we would stand up and we would do the um, national anthem every morning. And so did Nikki. But then they would go from the national anthem. Then they would go and look at the, the American flag. Then they'd look at the Christian flag. Yes, there's a Christian flag. And they would do um, a, a pledge of allegiance to the Christian flag. And when they were done, they would look over here and they would pledge allegiance to the Bible. And Nikki said this to me. I, my mind was like, you did what? And like Nikki like recited, she remembered the pledge to the American flag and what I mean to the Christian flag and to the, um, the, the, to the Bible. And the reason that, that, uh, that just floored me is by, Pledging allegiance to those three, right? What you, are, what you are doing, what you are validating, what you are sharing a worldview is all three of those things belong together, right? That the Bible and whatever the Christian flag is supposed to represent, Christianity, Jesus, the cross, right? And the holy word of God. And also we're going to throw in there the America, right? And when you do that, there can be incredibly dangerous things that come out of it. Because when you believe that we are this Christian nation, that we are um, ordained by God, that God has blessed us, right, as a country, and of course God wants us to enact and do these things, that if God ordained this, then God gave us power, that however we use that power, because God gave us power, is going to be blessed by God, like storming the capital, Jesus is Lord. Of course God wants us to do this, because God ordained this system, the system gave us power, and those who use the power are doing it in the name of God. You might be thinking, yeah, Chris, come on. Like, ha, like, that's, like sure, that's a far, like, fletchity, but where would they get that idea? Yeah, they get it from the Bible. They get it from the Bible, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. And this is one of those verses I remember hearing when I was younger and was like, oh, yeah, okay, I, that makes sense. I, I can get behind that. And never, like, actually put any kind of critical thought into it. There's this, this hashtag that I saw, or this statement that I saw that, um, um, uh, the trans activist, uh, um, um, and not Aaron, he wrote um, the book, just, um, anyways, and um, he was wearing it on his shirt and said, um, bad theology kills. Oh, Kevin. Kevin? Kevin no, but I know that. Anyways, and that's, that like struck me, a short statement. Romans 13, 1 through 7 literally has brought death to millions and millions and millions of people of where people believe in the name of God that they're going to be able to use the power of God to do the will of God, right? We're going break, to break this down. So I just want to say, like, the reason that this came up is that we believe the way we view God matters. 
right? The way we view God deeply matters. And when you have a plain reading, a simple reading of this Bible, you're going to read it and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, totally, I can see how that is. But I'm going to hopefully, by the end of this, give, give us a higher way of viewing, higher, higher way of understanding. So we're going to read, all right, we're going to read Romans 13, 1 through 7. I'm reading out of the NIV. I'll read it in its entirety. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So right there, that is quite a statement. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If in honor, then honor. Read verse 1 again. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So if you just read that in and of itself, you just isolate that passage, you're going to hear that and say, oh, yeah, obviously. All the ruling authorities God has established, God has ordained that government, that governing body, that governing order, and those rulers. So there's two ways of looking at it. First one is when you read it like um, me. And I'd say a majority are like me who are watching this. If you were a, a white um, person, right, especially if you're a white man, and um, you could read it and say, oh, yeah, it's totally true. Of course God ordained these leaders and God ordained our structure of government. Of course God ordained for us to have this land and the Constitution why? Because it works for me, right? It's easy to believe it's God's destiny, it's God's blessing when I'm the one being blessed. So you could look around and be like, yeah, man, God is so good and God's um, loving wisdom is flowing throughout. And look how I am flourishing as a person and I have access to healthcare and I have people who believe me and I have access to capital and it feels really good. And so when anything pushes back against my comfort, pushes back against my privilege, push, pushes back against my, my view of God blessing us, then that must mean they are an enemy, not just to my country or to my belief, but even to my God, right? So those who are in power, those who benefit from it, can read this verse and say, yes, I'm glad God is in control. Well, let me give you a different perspective. I read in a, uh, an academic journal. Uh, yes, I read academic journals. <laughs> this chaplain, and she works at a maximum security prison in uh, Wisconsin, and she wrote her whole paper of framing the Romans 13 through the eyes of a black woman who's in solitary confinement in maximum security prison. This woman got put to solitary confinement because uh, she loves Jesus, 
Um, but she also um, has no problem raising her voice when she sees injustice. She saw injustice, spoke up against it, and the guards put her into um, maximum or into solitary confinement. So in solitary confinement, she reaches out to the chaplain. Chaplain comes down, and she specifically wants to talk about Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. And she says this. So if God put all these governing authorities, anyone whose authority has been put placed in by this God that I love, by this God that I worship. It is God who enacted from the very top of the government structures and placed all these authority, and I'm supposed to submit to them because that is what a holy thing, that's what holy people do. She goes, then what am I supposed to do when they don't see us as women? They don't see us even as inmates. They don't even see us as humans. They see us just as numbers. And the governing authorities, those who God placed in authority, use and abuse and manipulate us. And when I speak out against it, they take my words and lie. Because people believe them because they're human. I'm just a number. And then they put me with those lies in solitary confinement. And she had an opportunity to contest it. Someone reached out. The governing authorities reached out. And she goes, so do I tell the truth of where, to the people in power where I can get even more time for telling truth? Or do I submit the way that Paul is telling me to lay down? Because I don't want the sword. I want the blessing. And the chaplain started writing in this paper of the, how, when we read the Bible, the context of the person, of the place, the body that we're reading it is going to shape how we really interpret it. Because as a white man, of course God brought all this. But as a black woman in solitary confinement, she's going to read that and be very confused. God wants me to be quiet. God wants me to let other people, the governing order, to manipulate and continue to use my body and punish my body? Is that really what Paul is saying? Because if it's true, then you have to play, if this is, and we call this a plain reading of, of the Bible, if you just take a one quick glance, then then and say, oh, every governing structure, every person in authority God has placed, if that's exactly what Paul is saying, then that has to be true here. Then it has to be true here and true here, right? So um, let's, let's take, um, I don't know, let's take um, South Africa. There was a time where they had different tribes and they had a governing authority that God clearly, according to Paul, had ordained. Well, all of a sudden here comes Britain. They come down and they colonize and they look at the, uh, the land and the resources and the people and the shipping routes that they can exploit. And they knew Paul's letter. They, you know, they, they, had, they had their church and they clearly said, oh, hey, you know what? Our governing, uh, our, what do you call it? Uh, our, or God's ordainness might be a little bit higher. His ordaining might be a little bit higher than yours. And so um, I guess our, our call of God is higher than your call of God. So now we're going to take over your land, your people. And they set up an unjust, horrible, evil empire that led to millions of death. If it's true what Paul says, the Nelson Mandela, right, who got thrown in prison for his voice, thrown in prison for his activism, thrown in prison for his trying to bring um, justice to the land and to the people and to the government system. And in prison, right, leads a revolution, starts a whole new government. So by Paul's letter, what Nelson Mandela is doing is birthed out of sin, is it? I mean, if there's a governing, God placed them in authority, placed those people in authority, then who is, 
who is Nelson Mandela? Speak up. Okay. Yeah. All right, Chris. All right, let's go to um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Do you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, Sarah? Yeah. yeah okay. Um, <laughs> Cost of Discipleship, um, Dark Night of the Soul, uh, very, very um, famous historic pastor theologian. And one reason that we know his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up against the Nazi party. And when the Nazi empire and Adolf Hitler used and manipulated the church to somehow bless and affirm that this is ordained by God, because God has put Adolf Hitler and the Nazi people uh, party in power, that must be God's will. So whatever he's going to do is the will of God. And people said, well, clearly Paul says this. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, no, this is not how we do things. This is not a very Jesus-looking response. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his resistance is that God's blessing or, all right, okay. What about Genghis Khan, right? He, he had a governing authority. How, why, how can we say that God didn't set up that governing authority? All right, Chris, no, no, okay. Well, how about, um, I don't know, America. We use words like, these colors don't run, and we're rebels, and don't tread on me, right? And how we have this, this, this value all throughout our land of, of how, we, don't tell me what to do. We're rebellion, right? <laughs> My favorite is, these colors don't run. But if we're going to take the Bible seriously, right? People say this all to me, Chris, take the Bible seriously. It says it. Then that means then when we start a revolutionary war, we are saying the governing body that God established, we disagree with. We don't, <laughs> that we don't want to follow God's law. We don't want to follow it in God's ordination and in God's plan. And so we have our own. And what do we do? We say, no, God ordains this one, not that one. Not the one over in England. No, 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 no. God has a new one, right? He has a new one. And this is God's plan. And so then they go out, right? I should say they. We went out and played this thing called Manifest Destiny. And not just America. It's also, it was in South Africa. It was in many places. But Manifest Destiny essentially means um, um, I'm, there's this destiny that God's inviting me a part of. Clearly, God wants us to have this land, to have these bodies, to have these resources. And so I'm going to play it out because, of course, God wants us to do it. Why? Because if God ordained this new government and said, this is really good, then God enacted and gave us this power. I said this earlier. Right? God gave us this power. And if we have that power, that's from God. Then how we use that power clearly is from God. So I'm playing out the will, the destiny of God. Indigenous people. If you've not listened to, um, um, her, her name's Kat. She spoke about indigenous faith and it is so incredibly good and shared about those principles that ground indigenous people was to start out of a place of humbleness, to start out of a place of generosity. And indigenous people, of course, shared everything they had because that's how they survived. That is how they lived. It's how they flourished. And how many times have we played out manifest destiny indigenous people? Not just, not just then. How many times have we changed the treaties that they signed and that we keep changing because, of course, God wants us to have a pipeline run through your reservation. Of course, you have sovereign, you're a sovereign nation until we see something we want or something we need, and then we can change the rules. Why? Because God gave us this power, and the power we use must be by God. Is this what Paul's getting at? You see, when you believe it this way, it leads people to sit on their hands when they see injustice, when the people in power, the people are benefiting from the system, and we see things that maybe aren't fair. We see poverty. We see that there's not equal access to, like, life-giving health care, right? 
we see it happening. We're like, we sit in our hands saying, well, there's nothing I can do. Clearly, this is ordained by God. And maybe we don't use those exact words, but there's something inside of us that says, well, I think it's going to keep us working for me, so I'm just going to stay silent. Is that what Paul's getting at? Was that Paul's intent? Was that his belief? Well, I would dare say um, no. So what, what is Paul getting at? First, everything we read, we have to look through the lens of the cross. We have to look through the lens of the universal Christ, right? And so when we see Jesus, we see the Christ. In Matthew 22, what do we read? In Matthew 22, people are trying to trap Jesus in these different arguments, these different philosophical ideas, right? And so they come to him and they say, um, hey, what about this coin? How are we supposed to respond to Caesar? And because um, Caesar says that his saying was, um, Caesar is Lord. And so when Jesus says, when you see the Father, you see me, right? My Father's always at work and I too am working. Jesus put himself on the same level as the divine, as Jesus is Lord. And so Jesus says, well, who's on that coin? They say, it's Caesar. He goes, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Caesar gave you that money. Caesar gave you that coin. So give it back to him. He goes, but then render to God what is God's. The same way Caesar's on the coin, Jesus pointing at the body and saying, and the divine, you are marked by the divine. You are made in the image of God. So give back to God. What do you give back to God? You surrender to this deep, deep love. Jesus inviting them saying, yeah, yeah, do what you have to do in this system, in this empire and all that. But that is not what we're here for. That is not the point. What is the point? It is to the allegiance is to one. The allegiance is to God, to the divine. And then later on, just a couple verses later, they, um, they, they, they try getting Jesus being a rabbi and different rabbis had different emphasis on the law and what is the highest law and what should we hold first and what's the ranking order. And Jesus says this in the same way. Render to God was God. So he goes, Give everything you have to God, your intellect, your body, your soul, your energy, all that belongs to God. And then in that same love, the way we respond in that deep love, in that generosity, in that benevolence, is to love the person who's three feet in front of you, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is the heart of Jesus. This is exactly who God is. So for Paul to say, right, in verse 13, of, oh, no, you just have to surrender to whatever the governing authorities are. It's ordained by God, so we just have to sit in our hands, and when we see evil things, injustice, systematic racism, and we just have to say, well, I guess that's the will of God, right? No, we have to start with the cross. <laughs> Jesus got killed for being political. Jesus got killed because he didn't bend his knee to the empire. Jesus got killed because he spoke up to the powers at hand and says, the way... Anytime we dehumanize people, right, that's evil. And Jesus stands up against, I love the idea of um, raging against the machine, right? One of my favorite bands I actually listened to right before I, I was talking, if you can't tell, you know, minus and super bass by Nicki Minaj. Um, the way that Jesus raged against the machine, he raged against the empire, was not blow with blow. It was not with fist to fist. It was through love. It was through nonviolence. It was through highlighting all the things empire, the ordained system that God has put in place of how it has brought human suffering. And Jesus stood in solidarity with those people and the people in power did not like it. He did not like that the woman at the well, he says, you're already included. He didn't like that he said the, the meek and the poor and the humble and the suffering for the kingdom of God is theirs. They didn't like that Jesus would go and offer like, 
free healthcare to people. <laughs> Jesus just didn't do miracles because he's like, hey, you wanna see a cool party trick? He was pointing to a higher way of being, of, of who we are called to be, who are we, how we're supposed to move and take care of the poor and take care of people's bodies. Jesus went from table to table, party to party, from glass to glass, casserole to casserole, to bring life, to bring food, to bring voice, to bring dignity, to bring inclusion, to bring wholeness, friends. And that's why we have to look at the cross. We have to look at the person of Jesus when we, of, of just saying, well, no, God ordained this system. I guess we have to just submit to it. So what is, so then in light of that, what is Paul talking about? All right, here's what Paul's talking about. Paul is a pastor. He's not just some theologian. Paul's whole argument, all his letters is on the Christology of Jesus, right? He doesn't get into ever about the virgin birth. He doesn't get into the same things. All the gospels get into this, the, the history and the stories. Paul hits hard on if Jesus is who he says he is, if the Christ is who the Christ says it is, then what are we supposed to do? It's about transforming the world. It's about bringing resurrection. It's about bringing new life. There's neither Jew nor Greek, no male nor female, nor slave nor free. Paul is going around from uh, city to city, from synagogue to synagogue, from table to table, building tents to support his own business to tell people you're included, that you are loved. That's, that's what he did. And what he's doing is, Pastor Hart, is this is a very common thing for any kind of um, minority group, right? Plato wrote on it. <laughs> in Jeremiah, uh, God invites people in Babylon to take on some of the customs, take on some of the culture, to be the best citizens possible, but still marry, still have kids, right? If any time you felt a threat, any time you felt oppression, what Paul is saying is saying, let's be the best citizens because that is a way that we can say we, we are a part of the system and we, we don't want to compromise our belief. We don't want to compromise our um, effectiveness, right? That's what they did. Paul knows that in Judea, there was already rumblings and soon after this, there's going to be this war where there's leads to death. Six to eight years after this, Nero, the Roman Empire, right, is stringing up Christians, hanging them from cross, killing thousands of people. Paul's already sensing, he hears the rumbling, he knows that even before this, in Rome, there was Christians who got um, taken out, not killed, but like removed from Rome because of their assertions of that Christ is Lord. So Paul gets this, he's saying, hey, hey, if you're in this government, if you're in this system, and Paul's in prison while he's writing this, he, I, I think he's going to elaborate on some words to help people say, hey, hey we're, going, we're in the system and wherever you're in the system, let's do with it. Pay your taxes, be with honor. But Paul didn't write his letters. Paul didn't write, sorry about that. Paul didn't write his letters at, like in the same way we read in the Bible. It wasn't like he got done with chapter 12. He's like, all right, wrap up verse 21. All right, let's start chapter 13. A totally different thought, an isolated idea. If you read chapter 12, which I'd encourage you to do, Paul wraps it up with saying, we're, we're never going to use violence. When people are hurting, we're going to be with the hurting. We're going to leave vengeance onto God. And anytime we see evil, we'll not use evil to overcome it, but we'll over overcome evil with good. So what does this mean for us? It means this. We can be amazing citizens. 
right? I, am, I love politics and I do believe that policies should lead to equality and equity, that it should lead to basic healthcare, to access to people, right? Of like healthy, amazing, clean water and food. There should be access to education. Should we have equal access to vote? I think that these policies we can use should bring life and life to all people, not just some people, right? So I think we should vote. You think you should be on your school board. I think you should uh, be on the, the, the city council, right? We should use our voice, use our leadership, use our platform, use our privilege, use our resources to help transform the world. But our allegiance is never to that flag. Our allegiance is never to a governing body. Our allegiance is never to a political party. Our allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone. And when we, we're in that mindset, we're in that Christology, we're holding on to the cross, then wherever we go, whatever school board, whatever country, whatever government system, we can move and bring transformation, reconciliation, resurrection. That is who we're called to be. I recently read this um, spiritual activist who carries around with him a, um, uh, what do you call this, a tape measure. And what he was taught was, uh, when you're walking in the world, pull the tape measure out. He goes, I was taught that I'm bringing transformation to the world three feet at a time. That whoever's within three feet my radius, that who, that's who gets my best. That's where I want to see liberation. That's where I want to see justice. That's where I want to see flourishing. That's where I want to see people getting fed. That's where, if that's in the ground, if that's in me, or if that's in the person, then we can be a part of this system. But we can never, ever, ever, ever forget that who we are called to be as followers of Jesus, as Jesus-looking people, is to love this God with everything we have. And to love God means is to surrender to that deep love. And when we surrender to that deep love, then we can go and transform the world Resurrection, new life in all things, three feet at a time. From casserole to casserole, from super base to super base, right? Honestly, from, our, from dancing to our cooking, to our art, to our voice, to our hands, through giving, donating our jackets to people. Like, we can use the government, we can use policies, and we can use tater tot hot dish to bring heaven to earth in this space. Let's pray. So God, I love you. And I thank you. I really do. I, I, I'm very aware of what privilege and power and access to resources in life I have in this country, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for all the people who have given of their time, energy, and even their lives for this place to be what it is. But I also recognize the harm and destruction that has come upon the people and this land in the name of God. And for that, I repent. And I ask that you can use me, you can use us three feet at a time to bring mercy, to bring justice, to bring freedom from a... Um, from oppression to bring liberation. And that you would inspire us to do the best, to partner with you in seeing life and life to the fullest through policies, through school boards, on playgrounds, at our houses, in our backyards, on our social media, 
because that is who you're calling us to be, to be people of love wherever we go. And our allegiance, Lord, is to you and to you alone. And I do pray for those who are oppressed. I do pray for the hungry. I do pray for the victims who do not have access to healthcare, who do not have access to good food, who do not have access to education. Lord, hear their prayers. We love you. Amen. <laughs> the camera totally, the camera totally fell down. <laughs> you guys are looking at my feet as I was praying. Well, I see that even the ring lights fell down. All right, friends, that was an interesting way to end it. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to DM me or you can go on our website to find my contact information. Have a blessed day, friends. Happy Valentine's Day.